welcome to the latest edition of Return of the Hack. I'm your host, Neil Langridge, and I'm joined today by Sajid Barsvi, AVP of Security at Tufin. We explore the role of policy and how too often it's built on a legacy of manual processes and spreadsheets and looking towards a future, driving towards automation and delivering true ROI. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Return of the Hack, the podcast from E92+. Plus. I'm your host, Neil Langridge, and I'm delighted to welcome today Saggy, who's the AVP of Strategy at Tufin. Um, hi, Saggy. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Neil. Thank you for having me. So, um, first of all, if we can kind of start, if you can give a little bit of background about yourself, um, you know, what it is you do at Tufin, maybe a little bit about what Tufin do as well. Sure. Uh, so, I'm Saggy Barsby. Um I'm the AVP of strategy in Tufin. So I've been with Tufin for 10 years now. So a uh, lot of years and I'm very excited about this and I'm happy uh, to be with Tufin. Um, start my background off in, in R&D and development and I do have like background in cybersecurity uh, for my early days, uh, even prior to Tufin. And uh, then kind of going into from R&D to like sales and pre-sales and meeting a lot of our customers and talking to them. And now I'm kind of leading strategic projects um, alongside with uh, our CRO and our CEO and with all of the folks that we work with. Um, yeah, and Tufin in general is a network security policy orchestration. So we work with uh, all types of infrastructure. Um, so firewalls, routers, uh, SD1 technologies, cloud technology, private, public, all these type of things. And um, yeah, provide visibility, compliance, continuous compliance, automation capabilities, um, a lot of that good stuff for our uh, customers. And the main focus is obviously um, enterprise customers, so very complex and large environments, which always, I would say, Neil provides a challenge. Yep. Um, you know, it get complex. The more complex it is, the more challenging it is. However, I'll say that it is also uh, what's interesting and what's very dynamic about this uh, job. I'd say for myself and also in general for the company. So you get to see really worldwide, you know, infrastructure and how you know customer roll out their infrastructure in terms of like network security specifically. Um, their strategy, their vision, um, even legacy, you know, not a bad word, but yep. legacy, you know, in terms of like how they, they used to do things and how they adapt to like what is going on in the market. Um, so pretty cool. Yeah. No, that, that's brilliant. Obviously, yeah, different roles means that you've yeah seen all elements of uh, of how organisations work and do this. And I, you know, kind of obviously, we kind of normally normally start in terms of uh, you know a little bit about kind of maybe we start with policy. But actually, I'll I'll pick that up. The, the word legacy is interesting because I think that whenever we talk about legacy in cybersecurity, it's always a negative way. Oh, it's legacy. It's not next gen. It's not next gen necessarily, and it's not the most advanced stuff. But actually, actually understanding the legacy in terms of what organ organizations have in terms of if they're progressing, if they're doing more kind of deployments, they're rolling out to the cloud, they're introducing a new hybrid environment where previously everything had been kind of on-premise. Actually understanding what you've got from a legacy perspective, especially I suppose when you talk about policy, is essential because no one starts with a green a green, you know, greenfield site, do they? They're, they're always yeah. moving from one thing to another um, and helping tidy up and improve what you've got and actually understanding what you've got to make sure that you're not inheriting risk 
or vulnerabilities, actually understanding and, and acknowledging legacy is really important in policy, I would imagine. Definitely, definitely, 100%. I think, um, so we have something that we call the two-free maturity model. Right. It's like, how do you embrace a solution like two-free into your environment? Um, and I think it's it's about almost any technology, I would say, but in network security, it's very vivid. Um, you need to, first of all, have a visibility and understanding of what is going on in your, in your environment. So as you said, I need to get a better look into what I have in place currently so that I can make good and not necessarily like not bad decisions on what to, to go on next, right? So what are my next steps? How do I move things to maybe something that is a little bit more advanced from a technology standpoint? As you said, you mentioned cloud. We'll probably touch on that later on in, in length, but uh, definitely the understanding of what I have so that I am not inheriting risk, as you said, yeah. In my legacy, also towards my newer type of infrastructure, whether it's uh, cloud or SD1 or SaaS or these type of technologies, is, is very important. And I think that Tufin has been around for 20 years, has a lot of experience, and has the ability to support multiple technologies and multiple vendors. So like from an orchestration tool standpoint, I think it's very valuable so that we can provide that granularity to customers to say, here's what you've got, we got to handle this so that we can move forward safely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's one of those sides of cybersecurity that's not necessarily the most glamorous kind of, I don't want to dismiss it as just tidying up, but actually really, you know, getting a good handle on what you have already and moving. And often it is, you know, we talk a lot about automation, but I think that is key of being able to move from, from manual processes and I, I was going to come on to later some of the, 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 the horror stories you've nef- necessarily seen, but I, I can only begin to imagine the importance of spreadsheets in some people's management of policy. I mean, it may, make yeah. everybody feel better by saying nobody ever does that. Or, uh, or do they? I have to say <laughs> they probably do that. Yeah. I would say majority of them yeah. do that or have done it in the past for sure. Um, yeah, and I mean... I mentioned at the beginning how complex um, environments can be. Yeah. So you can imagine the sheer size of uh, spreadsheets in that type of environments for large retail, large financial services, um, telcos, really every vertical that we have in, in place, right? Managing it in a manual process and in a spreadsheet is, um, I would say, close to impossible. Without, without, without making errors, without missing things, um, it's very difficult, and that's where the power of I think I'd say even a step before, like a step prior, like prior to automation, is just again the understanding of what I have. How do I make sure that what I have in place does not pose any risk to to my environment? And that you know is. Um, takes a lot of time if you do it with spreadsheet. So time and uh, manpower. Yeah. And that's very difficult to do. So that is, um, I think, I think it boils down to even a cost type of exercise, right? Is uh, it's expensive. think about yeah. exactly how many hours you have to spend on, I, I'd say one more thing here, not just looking at this, but maintaining it. So I've made changes to my environment. Okay. Even, even let's say we'll stay in legacy because um, imagine we, we, 
let's say we didn't get to cloud yet, right? But even on the legacy side is you look at something and you have a spreadsheet and you got to maintain it, but it's, it's a live environment. And we live, we live in that type of like business agility type of like the business pushes forward on security and network security specifically. And it, it needs to adapt, right? So maintaining that and making sure that it's up to date constantly is a very tedious manual task eventually, right? So it's very difficult if you don't have um, tools in place to help you do that. I'm not saying it eliminates all of your manual process, probably not, but it is a very good way to get there. So the goal that we have is like, again, mentioned the mature email, but the end goal is the zero touch automation. And we'll touch on that later on, but the path to zero touch automation has manual tasks in the interim, definitely, but it's reducing them or making sure that I handle the, 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 the main things. And what it also does, I'll, I'll add one more thing here is that it clears time and people eventually, right, to do other things that might be priority. Um, I used to go to conferences and I used to ask our customers or prospect in the room, was like, who's doing a cleanup project in his environment right now? And then some of the people were raising their hands, obviously, and I I would ask who would like to do cleanup, ideally, Let's say this is a utopia, right? And ideally, we want to do a cleanup process. 99% of the hands were up, right? In the air. So um, that is something that if you have a great tool in place, enables you to do that type of cleanup and start working your way towards um, maintaining continuous compliance and automation. Now, no, yeah, 100%. Yep. So it's kind of in in terms of when organizations are looking to move to, you know, move to cloud, maybe hybrid, certainly start. But I think the reality is also we know that organizations are not going to have a single cloud. They're going to have a multi-cloud strategy. They're going to have a lot of different environments. They're going to be managing a lot of different vendors, different devices. What other challenges other than just literally kind of drawing a line and understanding where they are? What other challenges do they have when it comes to managing policies across all of these different different devices, apps, networks, infrastructures? I, I would say the first thing is understanding what I have across the board. You mentioned it throughout like the, the question basically, there are so many technologies, vendors, I call them flavors and colors for lack of a better term, right? But all the flavors and colors are very different to do that without something that unifies them or orchestrate them all together, bind them basically, um, and that you have a single pane of glass, maybe that's a good term in that sense. Um, It's it's difficult, like you need, first of all, you need expertise. So whoever's doing, uh, I don't know, let's take a Palo Alto firewall, needs to have a very good understanding of what cloud is and how to operate in that and how to look into things. So it's that knowledge and, that's even like the first step, right? Then time and being able to go into each of these platforms and look at different things. Whereas if you have this in one single pane of glass, again, it makes, makes it easier. You, you already know the look and feel of it. Yeah. Um, and, and really there are a lot of obviously other challenges to that, 
is who's owning what, especially if you're moving between infrastructure, um, what vendors to select when you are making the move. So if you are embracing new technology and you are bringing in new vendors, um, they offer really cool stuff, like all of them. Like you have very cool stuff in Microsoft Azure, you have very cool stuff in uh, VMware NSX, which is two different private public cloud, not even the same infrastructure. You have to choose which one is the path to go for your type of environment, for your use cases, for what you look for um, in, in these technologies and what you want to eventually achieve. So just the time to also even research that is maybe a challenge as well. Yeah, it is. I, I mean, often when we talk about as well in kind of security about that kind of balance between productivity and security and sometimes security being a, being not necessarily in the neighborhood, but it can be a block to, or, you know, people especially uh, wanting to be able to do what they want to be able to do. But I think definitely this, this is an area where if you get the right solution in place, you can dramatically increase productivity for in terms of both users and in terms of IT teams, because it, it just reducing the amount of sheer manual intensity in terms of that, 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 that work that needs to be done and the amount of data organizations have to deal with and, you know, the amount of management of devices, that's where there's, there could potentially be huge productivity wins and also speed and agility for organizations exactly. being able to roll out. Because I think, you know, increasingly we've seen the digital transformation and all of this sort of stuff is, is important, but actually it's a competitive advantage. So enabling organizations to be able to move quicker um, and security enabling that, that's, that's a win. Yeah, if you reduce the trade-off between business agility and the business, the business obviously wants to push forward and deploy things faster, um, hence why the cloud is being adopted so heavily and obviously it's a great way to do that and move a lot faster than what, let's say, call it legacy infrastructure used to, used to work. Um, but you might be giving up on security. And that's a trade-off in between. And when you are able to reduce that by introducing guardrails or just simple checks along the way to make sure that I deploy fast, but I don't give up on security. So I still remain compliant. I'm still audit ready for whatever comes my way. I reduce human error, reduce the chances of a breach all these type of things is if you're able to do all that, you are securing eventually business agility in that sense as well. Yeah. Is that, is that a trend where you've seen where organizations can sometimes kind of, uh, kind of almost kind of give themselves kind of potential kind of risk vectors or, or kind of potential vulnerabilities and gaps because they have rolled out so quickly. Obviously over the last few years, organizations have had to pivot and adapt very quickly because that's, you know, that's the situation we've had in obviously not just because of COVID, but then obviously in terms of kind of other economic challenges of having to maybe rationalize having, there's been so much flex and, and need to move quickly that the organizations have been agile, which has been amazing, but that agility has come at a, a kind of a potential cost of stuff potentially therefore has been missed, especially if they're, you know, they are running kind of more, yeah, a more legacy way of, of managing kind of policy and, and you know, and, and going to get, and, and they don't have the visibility that they would like over everything. I would say, if I have to say, it, it depends on the vertical sometimes. It depends what industry. Uh, obviously, some industries are more strict in that sense. They don't give up on security at all. 
um, like bank financial services is a lot more sensitive to some extent. Um, but with like regulations and compliance, there's still some um, guardrails, I would say, to prevent you from giving it up completely, especially if you have BCI and other things in place or um, if you're like on the energy side, there's other regulations, obviously, so these type of things. Uh, but it does come at the expense of security sometimes. I wouldn't say giving up completely. That, that would be an exaggeration maybe, but um, yes, sometimes. But in, in certain areas when you like, maybe that I can now not focus and maybe that's not the priority. But I'll put it this way, like the DMZ environment or like trust zones, these type of things are always more heavily secured than others. Um, other areas in your environment like zones or infrastructure type of things. Um, and there's also the the question of um, ownership is a big thing, especially with cloud. Um, there used to be, that's what we were seeing in the market at least, is that there used to be some like thought that cloud teams would handle everything cloud related. But then when you look at the real like life, eventually in reality, there is a hybrid environment. There is a need to go from point A to point B and point A starts in the physical data center in Europe and it ends up in a private cloud environment in North America, for example, right? So goes the, the path has many hops in many types of infrastructure. Yep. And who owns what is also sometimes um, what we see as like industries uh, or like companies, customers in general, they, they have challenges with it sometimes. It's like, well, we own this part and then the other team owns this part and it's can potentially create some friction, but um, that is also something that's interesting to see is how to manage, like, so let's say I have cloud. I have some, you know, cloud running code and stuff like that, which is managed by DevOps and a lot of like the CICD pipeline and these type of things. That is the job of the DevOps team or whoever like cloud ops. But then you have, eventually you might have a firewall that's running on that cloud infrastructure. So I have, a, I don't know, a checkpoint firewall running in, uh, in, in Azure. Yeah. So it's, it's a firewall. Is it a cloud? You know, it's a, it's a firewall in the cloud. So you ask yourself who owns it basically. And that's where like we see net ops, network operation, network security, net tech teams, these type of things, um, these type of teams come into place and that that's where they own things because eventually it's policies yeah. and you manage policies within these. Um, and you need to make sure that that policy adhere to the same policy that I have in my other data center, which might be a physical data center. Yeah. So you see the, the, the balance and trade off between the things and like just uh, the, the, the ownership is a very interesting conversation. And I have to say that you talk to, let's say 10 customers and you probably hear five to six different answers when you ask about ownership. Yeah. But when it comes to firewalls in the cloud, and that's something that's very, very important to emphasize, yeah. is that that is usually almost 100% of the time still owned by network security teams. Um, again, security operation, network security operation, depending on the organization, what it's, how it's named, but it falls under their 
territory. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's interesting to see because again, it's, as I said, it's, it's cloud and it's firewall and it's like clash of the titans. We'll call it for, it, it, yeah, for, it is to make it a little bit more dramatic. <laughs> I mean, are you seeing the role of kind of the firewall and, and, and how it runs in the net sec? kind of cybersecurity uh, kind of strategy change a little bit since, you know, the, the kind of the greater move to the cloud? Because obviously previously it was it was the king of the gateway. You know, it sat on the edge of the perimeter and we just don't have a perimeter now. It's it was certainly not in the same way that we did. So you are you see, and it, and it probably was that central focal point of a lot of policy because it was the primary in and out. So are you seeing the role of firewalls often change, especially in these larger organizations with more heavily distributed networks? Uh, first of all, yes, a hundred percent. I think that firewalls, if I look um, historically, have also adapt to the current uh, market. And you can see just on like, if you see what the, the, the main firewall vendors, like let's say big four, big five, what they invest in and where they're headed in terms of like their vision, what they're like CDO, CEO, product people, what they say about what's coming up around the corner or maybe even five corners ahead, let's say, um, you can see that they're already there like from a mindset and they have made significant uh, changes. So all the, the entire concept of like next gen firewall is eventually adapting to the current like market or infrastructure in general, like just the way technology is now works. They all have cloud connections. They all are well adapted to running in the cloud and being able to support these type of like fast moving or fast shifting even, right? Yeah. Um, environment. So I think you can see that, that, and that is kind of like the shift where they're headed. And again, the fact that it's, it's no longer a box in a remote data center that like someone just connects two cables in and that's it. It's, it's not at all. It's, it's a lot more than that eventually. Um, and I think that's a pretty cool thing to see. Uh, yeah. So I, I think they're, they are definitely adapting and, and, and it's funny because the users of these firewalls and even like our user, we steal it all the time. They also adapt to it. So you can, for example, I mean, you can run to in the cloud. Yeah. Just as, as a single like platform, no, no, no problem. Spin it up and you run it. And it works along the way. So um, I think that is also something that we see with pretty much any vendor at this point. If, if you're not there, it's very difficult to be as, as agile and as like yeah. advanced as we want to be in terms of that. Yeah. Um, I wanted to, as well, just kind of, we, we kind of touched on kind of policy um, a, a little bit more um, in terms of kind of from a compliance uh, kind of perspective and, and, you know, how important is that, that role of compliance? As you mentioned, there's a lot of kind of industries that are going to be heavily regulated around PCI or DOCS or, the, you know, kind of financial or kind of utilities and what have you. Um, you know, how important is it in terms of being being a kind of a guiding point for, for uh, organizations to, you know, to adhere to kind of best policy? So, you know, it's using it more than just guardrails, more than just, yes, we're ticking a box. Because um, we all know being compliant is not being secure. So, you know, how, how far do organizations need to take it as a framework in terms of best practice, but actually also then going above and beyond? And then organizations that, that aren't, 
dependent on compliance they don't have as much compliant requirements but is it still useful of taking some of those standards as a framework to be able to use for as i say kind of you know best practice so i would say that uh first of all compliance is very important but there's a there's a more advanced concept of continuous compliance so when you bring in something like a like a network security orchestration tool like like two fit okay so you you build compliance um policies call it that, that way yep. um we call them unified security policies so you can build them in place what that does is two things is it looks at what you have in place right now so that's a reactive type of thing here's what you've got you have abc you might have risk and C and D and E, I don't know, but it kind of looks at what you currently have. So you can react and go fix it. And then what it does moving forward from the moment you've deployed it is it takes you from now on, everything that you are going to introduce to your environment, we will do a perform like a what if scenario. So if you've introduced that change into your environment, will you, will it break compliance? Yeah. So that you don't have to be reactive and go fix things. You want to be ahead of the curve, right? So you want to make sure that whatever you're implementing in your environment, whatever changes you are putting in, it aligns with the guardrails that you've defined or the security, cybersecurity operations team. It doesn't matter whose team's defining it, defined by the compliance regulations of, um, again, it could be just standard regulations and it could be a corporate regulation that I and my corporate don't allow things to come in through like telnet just very simple like example to give it a little bit more um realistic terms but um yeah it's very important because that saves time later on going back to what we discussed at the beginning these type of things so compliance is super important let alone being able to do continuous compliance so that you're always in compliance it's like a circle you don't ever get out of compliance in that sense because when you do, you are, and you know what? It's not only that you are not secured, you're also, um, you know, you can be audited and then you can get fines or from like governments or if, depending on, again, the vertical and the industry you're in. But it's something that's very important to take into consideration. And there is another thing to compliance. And that's a, kind of like the same use case, maybe from, from, from our standpoint is that like audit readiness yeah. that makes your life a lot easier. Again, we talked about time and money and manpower and like what you have to invest. Prepare for an audit is a very mundane task. Yeah. It's, it's painful sometimes, honestly, like there's no other way of saying it. it's no. just painful. It is. And if you are saving yourself that trouble by saying, I just, I'm constantly in compliance. Yeah. I'm constantly making sure that I'm there. That is very, very, um, very simple later on. Yeah. Really makes your life a lot easier because you don't even have to prepare. You just go in like, for example, our platform and you show here is, here is every, here's how every request gets implemented. Here is what it checks against. This is my policy that I've defined. So if the auditor approves the policy and he's fine with it, I can show him that everything else was by the policy. So we don't even have to go one by one. I think it also makes life easier for the auditor itself. But you got to ask them, I don't know. But no, no one ever thinks of the auditors. Why does no one? 
Because let's face it, the auditor doesn't want their job to be going back and looking version and tracking changes in an Excel spreadsheet, do they? So, you know. 100%. 100%. Let's let's give these guys a break as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It kind of, you know, it it, it definitely, yeah, I I think without a doubt, having that that visibility in terms of what changes, because as you said, everything moves kind of really quickly. So being able to have that ability to be able to go back and and auditing is important, you know, not just from a compliance perspective as well. But I think, you know, one of the things that we all know of being able to understand, you know, stuff does go wrong. Think, you know, kind of no network is 100% secure, breaches happen or just vulnerabilities or kind of also potential breaches if you know somebody clicks on something they've got alerts come up that ability to be able to go back and and do that kind of analysis back is really really important as part of that you know although it's kind of going backwards it still is proactive security of being able to fully understand what's happened so actually being able to go back and have visibility of changes um and 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 those policies and what the impact of that that's really important for an organization to be able to get a good understanding of of what what they need to do going forward by understanding what happened in the past a hundred percent i will add one more thing because you've mentioned throughout that is that there are vulnerabilities and other things in place the the power that like tufin has as a tool in general and i think like the the information that is stored since we see your infrastructure completely. So we're seeing all your devices and we know what's in there and we have zones defined and all these type of things. Is that what it allows us is to go and other tools in your ecosystem. So we have this like we'll call it wheel of fortune. Like Tufin is a hub type of concept. We have many integrations with many types of tools with different type of use cases. It can be an ITSM, so ticketing system to be able to automate and streamline things better. It can be SOAR um solutions and it can be vulnerability scanners and one of the the feedback that we got from our users and their peers who are like more in the vulnerability side of things is that vulnerability scanners generate millions of vulnerabilities in a complex environment in in a large enterprise let's say you take one of the five largest banks in in the uk or even in the states you look at how their vulnerability scanners look like there are probably millions, if not more. Yeah. So with information that is, store, is stored in Tufin, the integration is the ability to prioritize. And I mentioned zones at the beginning. So I know what is part of trust and what is part of DNZ and these type of like very important type of zones within my environment. Yeah. So that I can say, these 10 vulnerabilities out of like million or maybe a little bit more than that a thousand is a part of trust maybe mr user you want to prioritize them over just the other i don't know a hundred thousand that might not be as critical everything is important vulnerabilities have to be mitigated a hundred percent there is no question but with as we said, as, as, as everyone's busy and everyone has many tasks to do, you have to prioritize and being able to do that is very important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we kind of kind of alluded to kind of one of the topic I want to mention a kind of a couple of times that it's, you, know, you can't get through a, a cybersecurity conversation without it. Uh, zero trust. Because, um, you know, I think I think that there's no doubt we've seen that kind of explosion. 
um, you know, not necessarily just explosion in terms of noise around it, but but organisations actually, you know, seeing it as realistic and, and not just for the biggest enterprise of, you know, more organisations, more diverse of being able to kind of embrace this concept because of the sorts of tools out there. How is that impacting kind of, you know, the, the, the world around kind of, kind of policy and from, from what you guys are seeing out there? Um, and, you know, how organisations are, you know, kind of able to address it effectively and what challenges are they getting in terms of being able to effectively, you know, kind of introduce a, a zero trust framework? Yeah, so I think even zero trust framework starts with the ability to visualise that, right? Is that I want to understand what I have in my environment so that I can build those zero trust policies and type of um, security checks in place. Um, so that falls, falls under that, especially, and also segmenting your environment. So that the fact that you can micro segment that using, I don't know, zones and interfaces and just like with, with the fact that like we have topology that breaks down the path analysis and I can see every hop and I can say which one goes where and what's blocking it, what's allowing it, all these other things. So that adds to just um, knowledge is power. Yeah. put it this way and when you have a tool that's able to do that uh, micro segmentation in terms of compliance and then run it against your existing infrastructure and again as i said moving forward to like things i'm going to implement later on is very important to that concept i think that's kind of where we play in that the, the part in that sense yeah, absolutely. I mean, policy really is kind of central to, to zero trust because you can't implement it without understanding kind of what you're going to allow and what yeah. you're not going to allow because you're, you're taking that massive step back. And I suppose actually, because you're taking that step back to understand of like, rather than we have, you know, let people do what they want, you know, if they're connecting via VPN, then they can have everything and then we need to start kind of control it. You're taking that step back. Of, what, what do we actually want? Is it, I suppose a lot of organizations can view it as an opportunity of like, Again, we talked about you always have legacy. No one starts with a complete blank sheet of paper, but enables them to go, what do we want it to look like? Um, you know, exactly. is kind of, I suppose, fundamental to that. 100%. I will say one more thing is that even being able to view the policies in a, in so, for example, like user identification or FQDN type of thing. So that would be very specific to like, I have one user, I don't trust him, but so I want to allow just the things that I want to allow to this user, being able to visualize it, being able to implement changes using that is, is just crazy. And that's very important that we can actually be able to support that type of, of, of features and allow our user to implement their zero trust initiative in, in their environment. And that's using a tool or two like like Tufin, because because the fact that you can, again, alert on these, report on these, and eventually automate on these, is very important. That understanding, because otherwise you go back to manually. Yeah. Um, and and our user really require that type of support, because you you have to adapt to the way that they're working with all their infrastructure. Um, and I think that's a great thing that we're able to do that. Yeah. And I think it's also an opportunity potentially for, for cybersecurity to kind of not just be stuck in its own, you know, kind of own little department. Those guys sit in the corner and, and stop everybody doing what they want to be able to do. Kind of, it kind of really exactly. They're no longer, they're no longer the blockers of yeah. like, uh, you know, Mr. No or something like that. It's like, 
I'll, I, you know, just like, I'll do it cautiously, but I'll do it. Yeah, and it enables them to actually kind of, you know, working with, as you say, working with NetOps, working with DevOps, working with infrastructure teams, working with identity, working with, you know, devices, everything. It enables kind of moving towards that zero trust means, right, we're going to reimagine what we what we want people to be able to do. It means that, you you know, you can kind of get closer to that kind of nirvana of security by design. It's baked in from the start. It's it's built into the, the proce- process from the very off. It, it, it does enable a bit of a reset and it does enable security to kind of, you know, kind of start working for everybody and start working with everybody rather than just being an, a, an overlay that, you know, as you say, blocks everybody. True, 100%. It's just, it gives organizations that, yeah, definitely that, yeah. Opportun- that opportunity. So um, the, the one thing I kind of also wanted to kind of touch on, because again, I don't feel I'm, I'm, I don't know if I'm legally allowed to have a conversation around cybersecurity right now without asking about AI. Um, because, because you've got to, because it's always on that, that subject. In terms of being able to kind of, you know, is it around accelerating automation? Let's talk about it obviously from a good way. Is there kind of potential for it to be kind of increasingly kind of built into tools to enable organizations to be a lot more uh, agile from a predictive perspective in terms of being able to automate a lot of those kind of, kind of simplified kind of processes and, and be, is it kind of going to be central to the uh, role that agility plays in, in, in security? Definitely, definitely. That's something that we're definitely looking into. Um, AI is important. You can see, again, talking about like the vendors, like the, the firewall vendors, you can see that, for example, Palo Alto even mentioned it, like they're heading towards that. Uh, we have the policies, we can scan and we know them, we can alert on things ahead of time. So being able to increase agility and security using AI is something that's very important. Um, and just making... You know, AI is also making the user's life a lot easier. Yeah. So that he can write a query and bam, something happens. Whatever he needs. Say like put some put you know, create a security policy for me that's that A and B. Um that is something that we're definitely looking into and um that's where the world is eventually going. So uh it's gonna be a lot of AI. Um can't say it's gonna happen anytime soon, but it will definitely uh like cybersecurity will get there. Yeah. Like any other um, area, we'll get there eventually. It's it's in a, it's a minute. Yeah. And wh- where else do you see in terms of kind of other trends in, uh, around this this market in terms of you know kind of in, in terms of both from a, a, a you know a threat vector perspective, but also in terms of how cybersecurity tooling will you know will will evolve? Because I think it's we're in we're in an interesting space at the moment where there's there's obviously been an explosion of uh, kind of spend and investment around IT, and obviously kind of cyber's been part of that last few years. You know, the, the, and the, you know, there's always an arms race. Uh, we're now seeing AI come up, which has kind of made everything a little bit more complicated, both from, a, again, a good and a bad perspective. But we're also seeing a lot of economic challenges. You know, organizations are under pressure from a budgets perspective. You know, re- it's really important for cyber as long as, ev- as well as everybody else to demonstrate ROI, which, which isn't always e- easy, you know, being able to, to understand what tools are delivering value, where there's poor utilization, you know, where there's, there's not not a return, where it's just an overlay, you know, kind of. So we're in an interesting space in terms of where, you know, how organizations are, are investing in technology and what they're investing in technology. So kind of where do you where do you kind of see us at that, that, that kind of that moment and where, do, you know, in terms of trends, potentially you might kind of see coming over the horizon over the next couple of years? Yeah, 
So I think as what we've talked about the last 30 something minutes or so is definitely also, you can look at it as like increase to threats because they also get more complex and they also with, especially with AI even like it's, yeah. it's something that we might not even think about this. Like a machine thought about this though, like yeah. some areas that we have to be even more prepared than was the, what we used to put more, um, gates, call it that right in place to make sure that we block everything that needs to, that tries to get in or like these type of things or breaches. Um, so that is always a, a, a threat that's getting larger, I would say. Uh, but in terms of, uh, of ROI, I think that, um, if you are able to, um, build your way and adopt these type of solutions with in a, in, in, you know, in a type of steps or like these type of like stages is like, okay, I start with, first of all, understanding what I have. I'm building a compliance policy. I'm putting things in place before I go and run like crawl work one run type of thing increases ROI because yeah. you're, you're working towards a goal. You've completed it. Okay. Now the next goal is expanding to automation. Now I'm automating. Good. How do I get to zero touch automation, which is really the end goal. And I think everyone that probably will listen to us from, from the users that will definitely agree that everyone wants to get to a zero touch automation type of thing, because that's like kind of the end goal. Yep. Um, and by doing that, you increase the ROI, I think significantly. And also being able to, uh, support all the flavors and colors. And that goes to just infrastructure that the customer might have all these complex technologies that he already has in place, plus the ability to deploy your own tool in any way, shape or form is also something that's pretty cool. And that also increases ROI because that makes deployment a lot easier, easier deployment, faster time to like, you know, resolution, call it this way, right? Time to deploy. Yeah. Um, and if we reduce the time of deployment, the tool is already in place. But honestly, the last thing I'll say on this is that when you onboard, and I can totally tell you from like a POC standpoint, like when you onboard such a tool, the value is immediate. You see things in place before you even need to, you don't even have to like create compliance, security policies. You don't even have to put the only, you don't even have to load all your spreadsheets onto the system. Once you've connected one type of infrastructure, not even all of them, just one type, you immediately get reports. You immediately see what you have in play that you were not able to see before. Yeah. And I think that's, that's massive. Yeah. That instant visibility is, yeah, I suppose that's the, that's the starting point. So I think we've pretty much come up to the, the, the top of our, our time. So one thing I always kind of like to ask at the end in terms of, you know, whether it's a, a channel partner looking at this in terms of talking to, to their customers or, a, or end user, a kind of, you know, sub security professional in terms of what you would have as a, as a first next step. There's a, there's a lot that we've discussed and for people to be able to think about, but in terms of, you know, the first thing they'd think, right, this is something I need to look at coming out of this. What would you recommend as being that first step towards, uh, you know, more effective sub security kind of policy management? I would say three questions to be asked, right? Is do I have visibility to my infrastructure? Do I have compliance? And how do I get to automation? How do I build a path to be able to be more agile? Three type of questions. 
Um, and I would sub-questionize each of them by saying, um, in, in any infrastructure, you should ask yourself this, right? So do I have that in the cloud? Do I have that in my on-prem environment? Do I have that for my SD-WAN, SASE, whatever technologies I have? Yeah. And, and as a top question for all of that is, how beneficial would it be to have it all in one place? Yeah. Because okay. I think that's also what customers would look for. Right. So that's what they want to get to without a doubt. Yeah. Smashing. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time with us today. Um, thanks, everybody, for uh, listening or watching. Don't forget to make sure that you're subscribed so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Other than that, thank you. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a good day. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye.